Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Basord and I'm a psychiatrist based in London. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Elizabeth Lundbeck, who is Nelson Tyrone, Professor of History at Vanderbilt University. We're going to be discussing a book published by Professor Lundbeck entitled The Americanization of Narcissism, published by Harvard University Press. This is an important book because it critically tackles the way the modern age thinks of itself. So I wonder if we wonder if we could start by um, you saying something about the notion that we, or more particularly Americans, live in an age characterized by narcissism. Sure. Um, first of all, let me say I'm very happy to be here with you. Um, so the, the book is really about how we came to believe that we live in a particularly narcissistic society. And what I argue is that in the 1970s, there was a confluence between what was happening within psychoanalysis, where narcissism became the central focus of the discipline, and what was happening in cultural criticism in the United States, when there was a, um, a flurry of articles about the selfish, narcissistic American character. So the most important moment was the publication of Christopher Lash's 1978 book, The Culture of Narcissism, and the book has had incredible staying power. We're in a second wave of that critique right now, um, when again the charge is being made that we live in a particularly narcissistic culture. And what does that charge look like? Could you say something about what these cultural critics are saying when they level this accusation about American society? Well, in the 70s, the claim was that we were um, selfish, self-centered, um, and it was tied to, Lash tied the analytic concept to a critique of consumption. So it became associated with excess, which was interesting to me because within psychoanalysis, narcissism was associated with asceticism, not with excess, sort of an emotional asceticism of not needing anything or anyone. Today it's a very similar critique um, in the cultural criticism the, with the added twist that now this generation of young is seen to be the most narcissistic in history. Again, it's a, a critique of consumption, it's a critique of selfishness, it's a critique of Facebook. It can, it's an all-purpose critique now. It can be used to criticize anyone. One of the mistakes I think you're arguing in your book that people are making over the concept of narcissism is that you've got to go back and look at where it started within psychoanalysis and when Freud first wrote about narcissism, his conception of it was different to, to the way people who are not used to psychoanalysis are, are thinking about it today. Could you say something about that? Yes, that's a very good point. Um, the current conception of narcissism doesn't have a tremendous amount to do with what Freud outlined in 1914, 100 years ago. Um, but it does have a lot to do with, it's a kind of an inversion of a longer conversation um, that started in the 1930s and on, um, looking at the concept of a healthy narcissism. So what did it take to sustain ambition, um, self-esteem, feeling good about oneself? These were questions asked first in the 1920s and 1930s by European psychoanalysts. Um, they were revived in the 1970s but kind of turned inside out um, and the critique was basically we have we shouldn't have too much self-esteem, um, we shouldn't feel good about ourselves um, and so, so the, the healthy part of narcissism got mostly left out. Now one of the major 
analysts I look at, Heinz Cohut, um, made a very strong case for the necessity of healthy narcissism. Um, and his work has been tremendously important within psychoanalysis, and psychoanalysts now view narcissism as sort of a, a means of regulating self-esteem. I should say I'm not talking about narcissistic personality disorder, but the concept of narcissism. Within the popular conversation, though, it's very hard to find anyone to say anything good about narcissism at all. So there's this thing called healthy narcissism, and there's this thing called self-esteem, and it seems to be a good idea to have fairly good self-esteem. Yes, um, and the problem with the culture critique is they can't really square that uh, circle, or uh, because people, it's widely accepted that we need some self-esteem, but in the narcissism, popular narcissism literature, and in the way research psychologists measure narcissism in their subjects, self-esteem is condemned. Um, psychoanalysts, on the other hand, see self-esteem as a taken-for-granted um, sort of quantity of self-feeling that we all have, and the task is not to stamp it down, tamp it down, but the task is to regulate it so that it doesn't get too high or too low. And every one of us not just those with narcissistic issues. Every one of us, every day, regulates our self-esteem. Sometimes it goes up, if someone compliments us, or we, we accomplish something, sometimes it goes down. But it's a normal process, whereas to research psychologists and in a popular conversation, narcissism is very scary. And the fact that politicians themselves have got involved in this sort of cultural debate about narcissism and I've kind of used it as a critique of what's wrong with American society seems important and you draw attention in your book to Jimmy Carter's late 1970s speech so-called the Malay speech could you say something about that yes this was um, uh, one of the most um, most remembered aspects of Carter's presidency um, basically saying that you know America was going to hell in a handbasket. It's, it's an old critique, but what was different about this was his conscripting of cultural criticism and of psychoanalysis to make this claim. Um, so it's a very interesting moment. It would be hard to think of a major thinker today turning to psychoanalysis to make such a condemnation of us all. But in the 70s, psychoanalysis was common currency. And it was a very widely commented upon speech. There's books about it. Um, it was basically his preacher-in-chief telling us what is wrong with us. It fits into a long tradition of Jeremiah's sort of lamentations about the state of our society. And, and one of the things you seem to be arguing in the book is that the popular media um, seems to rediscover narcissism as a malaise every few years and relaunches it as a new discovery that it's what's going wrong with our society. Yes, narcissism is just its the gift that keeps on giving for the popular media because bad news sells, bad news um, sells papers, uh, draws people to websites and narcissism is thrown around on the web in all sorts of ways all the time. Um, there is, though, a, a difference in the last 10 years. There's been a growing critique on the one hand of our increasing narcissism, and on the other hand, within the management literature um, and the popular business literature, there's a growing consensus that leaders are narcissists 
by definition because they wouldn't have become leaders were they not and the task is to manage their narcissism so it doesn't go over from healthy useful narcissism into malignant narcissism destructive narcissism so on the one hand there's a lot of worry about narcissism and on the other within sort of the the walls of capitalism or the halls of capitalism it's taken for granted so it's an interesting divergence and, and sort of paradox now you mentioned capitalism there you seem to be arguing as well in the book there's something about a natural affinity between capitalism affluence um, having more money to spend, spending on luxury, spending on fashion, and this cultural critique that that capitalism drives us naturally towards narcissism, that advertisers, in order to make capitalism work and flog products to us, have to somehow make us more self-involved. Right, and what my book tries to show is that linking those two together, that is linking together the psychiatric psychoanalytic concept of narcissism and the critique of our spending and buying was an accomplishment of the 70s. It was not natural. Psychoanalysis, um, the psychoanalyst narcissist is an ascetic, renouncing needs because to have needs is an injury to the self. It says I'm not perfect if I need anything. Capitalism is based on stimulating endless needs. Um, so the, those, those two were brought together in the 70s, most notably by Lash. And that has really proven almost impossible to disentangle. Analysts were not worried for the most part about money um, until this kind of inversion happened and some of them got, on, got lined up with the cultural critics. But for the most part, they were talking about emotional um, neediness and emotional asceticism, not worldly needs and worldly asceticism. They took for granted a, a kind of certain level of needs, but it just wasn't a focus. So that the focus we see now did not just happen naturally. It had to be affected. And it was done so brilliantly by Christopher Lash. However, um, psychologists, uh, according to your book, have jumped on the bandwagon of narcissism as being a growing problem, a thing that we should be worried about. And you mentioned um, uh, one of the psychologists, um, Jean Twenge, finding um, in her review of the research that certain questions in the uh, NPI, which is a assessment tool that measures um, levels of narcissism and uh, as a measure of narcissistic personality disorder, um, that the question like, I am an important person, the number of people who agreeing to that statement jumped from 12% to 80% uh, over the, the last few decades. Um, so what are your thoughts about that? Um, I'm not sure that was actually on, the, that jump was on the NPI, but I, I don't have it in front of me. You could be right. Um, I'm skeptical of the whole NPI way of looking at narcissism, and for this reason. There's a long tradition in psychology of looking at the mind as additive, quantities of, it's quantities of whatever it is that's being measured. Whereas in psychiatry and psychoanalysis over the long 20th century, the move was rather to think of the mind in a kind of global way, in the way that we think about it in a, in a popular way, not as divided up among little bits. So the concept of narcissism on the NPI is additive. It's a 40-point force-choice scale. Um, test instrument and scores have gone up slightly 
um, over the past, uh, I guess, 30 some years. It was uh, first delineated in 1978. There's a couple things to say about this though. First, there's a slipperiness in this because the test instrument is not meant to measure pathologic or clinical narcissism. It's meant to measure sort of narcissistic traits. But in the literature, that gets forgotten and then suddenly we're all narcissists. The second thing to say is that even um, some of those warning about increasing levels of narcissism argue that there is embedded in those a uh, sort of cluster of questions that measure healthy narcissism. The problem is that the, it, since it's an additive test, um, that those get added into the scores on more problematic dimensions of narcissism and add to your narcissism score. The third thing to say is that the average scores are below what even the um, delineators of the test, those who use the test, would argue is a measure of, of clinical narcissism. Nonetheless, it's a very popular critique. You also draw a distinction, therefore, in the book between narcissism as, as measured by social psychologists and narcissism in the clinic. Um, and you think there's an important difference between the two, and the kind of journalistic coverage is, is making a mistake, not understanding that. Yeah, I mean, journalists, they go for the big picture. And, I mean, one of the things I've been struck by is the depth of the resistance to the notion that there could be such a thing as healthy narcissism. Even though, as I said, some of those promoting the NPI would argue that there is such a thing embedded in the test. Um, so that's where I think the problem lies, is not being able to, to um, kind of acknowledge that there is something healthy in that. So I'm going to ask you a very unfair and very tough <laughs> question now. <laughs> Did you, as you were doing your research, identify traits within yourself as as being narcissistic in a way that you would not have done otherwise or did it leave you completely unchanged in your view of yourself? Oh, that's a great question. I have to say one thing I often say to my students um, is that, so Heinz Cohen argued that narcissism, healthy self-feeling is necessary to sustain ambition. So I sometimes say, well, you know, to write a book or to be a scientist, to, to put yourself in the lab for many years, you have to have a sense that you have something important to say. I could not have written this book had I not been able to draw on that because writing a book is a long, lonely process. So I say, of course, I had to have a sense that I was doing something important. And that ambition to write the book I did was fueled by a sense of healthy narcissism. If I thought I had nothing to say and that I was just going to sit in, you know, in the middle of the crowd, I never would have written the book. So I think it's allowed me to be a little more honest about um, sort of where I fit in the whole argument myself. So I, I guess that would be my answer to your question, or the beginning of an answer. And as a, as a British psychiatrist who worked in America for a while, hmm. I would say one of the endearing things about Americans is they are meant to be more open. So at, a, at an American middle-class dinner party, it is acceptable to be ambitious, and it's acceptable to, to state your ambitions. Whereas in Britain, you, you can be very ambitious at a middle-class dinner party, but you must never admit to that. Yes. And, 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 and you can see this with British sports stars. If, 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 should they ever win anything at the press conference, it's always put down to just chance, or they got mm -hmm. lucky on the day. Mm -hmm. For an American, when an American wins something, 
they deserved it, and oh, they yes. worked very hard for it. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. would, you, would you say there's something about that going on in this American self-flagellation over narcissism? You guys are more open about your ambitions. Well, it's interesting because when Lash's book was first published in 1978, some of the British commentators just said, what is wrong with Americans? Why, why are they flagellating themselves? And by the way, we don't understand what he's talking about because it's just so different from our experience of the world and how we think about things. Um, I mean, sure, there's a, there is a lot of narcissism in America. I'm not arguing there's not. Um, and, you know, there are people who are out there, you know, saying I'm the greatest, whatever. Um, I, I do think it's, there is, a, as you say, a lot more kind of claiming of greatness. And it's, it's more sort of culturally um, syntonic, I think, in America than in Britain. I don't know. But, sorry, go ahead. But, but I also think there's something really interesting about this notion that people even writing articles or thinking about what is our identity and how that may have changed recently and may have been shaped by economics or capitalism uh -huh. or culture. In, in other words, the notion that identity is more up for grabs. I mean, a hundred years ago, maybe your identity came from what religion you were born into, what class you were born into, what race you were, and your ability to negotiate that was very limited. Um, it was kind of given to you. Um, so maybe there's another deeper point here that we, we, we worry more about our identity because it seems more up for grabs. Exactly. And the last substantive chapter of my book is about the concept of identity, which was delineated for psychoan psychoanalysis and psychiatry by Eric Erickson, a Viennese immig an immigrant from Vienna to America. Um, who started talking about problems and identity in the 1940s. There was no identity discussion before that. Basically, identity meant who you were in the terms of a very narrow um, sort of what your name was, what your character was, but not, not a sense of fully realized personhood. The question was, am I this, do I have the same identity from one day to the next, a sort of philosophical conundrum. With Erickson's work, suddenly identity problems were everywhere. And the discussion around identity in America in the 40s and 50s was a kind of dry run for the narcissism discussion because it's precisely the same discussion. Um, so it's very interesting what you say because I would absolutely agree that having an identity um, is something that, in a way, it depends on a certain level of, or being able to think about having an identity and who am I, depends on a certain level of material comfort. You're not worried about where your next meal is coming from. Um, it's a, but it, it, once it was delineated in America, it was suddenly everywhere. Um, and I think there was one study where the, the British actually had, the British students in the 70s were, had talked about more problems of identity than Americans, which sort of confounds all kinds of cultural stereotypes. One of the other points you make in the book is that actually narcissists are more fun to be with. We're attracted to narcissists. So there's, there's a sense in which um, really what we're discussing is successful narcissism, which kind of works and integrates you with other people and makes you popular with people, and failed narcissism, which maybe are those the people who end up in the clinic. That's a really interesting point because certainly the argument is out there. Um, in the popular press even, that the same qualities in people that attract us are those that repel us. And you know, 
narcissists can be incredibly enticing and offer sort of a literary excitement. Um, if they turn out to be pathological narcissists, you realize that it's all, it's not about you, it's all about them, that you're just feeding their, you're just admiring them and being used for that. Um, but many studies by psychologists show that we are, yes, we are indeed attracted to narcissists. And that's been one of the problems that has been turned over endlessly in the literature when it comes to example, for example, to talking about leaders. So why are we attracted to leaders who make these promises to sort of even, it's been applied back to look at fascistic leaders. Like we give ourselves over to people who kind of seem to, um, have no needs of their own or larger than life. And then it turns out that we are nothing to them. So it's, narcissism does kind of exist on this scale from too much to too little, but I would also argue that one of the achievements of the seventies was delineating the narcissistic personality. That is the person diagnosable with narcissistic personality disorder as a, a kind of certain type. Um, and I've mentioned cohort, but Otto Kernberg is the, was the analyst most, um, who most brilliantly did this, I would argue. So it's been lovely talking to you. One final question, which um, may, may lead you to run screaming from the room, <laughs> but we've talked about narcissism within yourself. Um, I wonder whether in researching this book, and, and it's a very scholarly um, synthesis of what we know about narcissism, as well as a, a view on the cultural critique, um, whether you are better able to spot narcissists uh, at work or, or around you. I mean, uh, in the halls of academe, I'm sure that narcissism is not no, no, a known no. unknown feature. And were you able to spot the successful narcissist as opposed to the failed narcissist? Um, I think my ability to kind of suss out narcissists—it's it's, you know, this is a lifelong project. I think um, it's—I it, certainly learned a lot in doing all the research. But I think all of us have found ourselves um, sort of in the ambit of narcissists at one time or another because it's exciting, it's, it's hard to resist. I would hope that I've become better at sort of having the antennae out for that, but, you know, I never say never. <laughs> so I, I would say it's, it's, you know, you can, I would say yes, but it's a complicated question. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Elizabeth. And uh, just to r remind um, listeners that the book is entitled the, entitled the Amer Americanization of Narcissism. It's published by Harvard University Press, and the author is Elizabeth Lundbeck. Elizabeth, thank you very much indeed. Oh, thank you so much.